a warm welcome, that's right. So, Mark, go for it. Feel at home among us, thank you. Thank you very much. Am I on? Got great, wonderful. Thank you very much. It is a joy to be here and um, just saying to Steve just now, so often we engage in, in meetings and so we don't really get time to hang out and, uh, and it's been fantastic to hang out with Steve and Joe the last couple of days and it's been a joy to be able to come with Kelly Gibson just over to my right. He's um, one of our elders at City Church and a very, very dear friend. Um, he's travelled around quite a lot recently with me um, to different things and a very good prophetic gift and I'm, I'm fully anticipating that he's going to be hearing from God as we're speaking and, uh, and sharing something later. No pressure, Kelly, really. No, no, you can bear it. I've seen you. And of course, my delightful, most adorable wife, Maria. Um, we've been married for, I don't know, was it? Lots of years. Ne- nearly 40 years, I think it is. Uh, I always forget. I know. Um, we have three fantastic sons and 11 grandchildren and two great-grandchildren. So um, we are um, well endowed, as they say. But um, so we, we're always kept occupied in that, in that little world. Also lead City Church in Gloucester. Um, I've been involved in planting churches for probably over 30-odd years now. And City Church was the latest of those back in 2001. Um, it's a great church, great community. It's had its challenges and it's having its, and it's, having its joys. And, so, and they also send their love. I know they're praying for us uh, back there this morning as we meet here together today. So it's really, really good to be with you. I'm so looking forward to this morning. And, you know, words, who needs them? You know, I, I, this is quite honest. As we were worshipping, I was, I was really quite engaged. And so often, as a leader, you're engaged in everything else that's going on around you, aren't you? And, but also, you find yourself just looking at the screen and it's almost like it's uh, something in between you and your devotion to God. And I found myself this morning just not having to look at the screen and just spending time with God. My heart was broken over and over as we worshipped. It was glorious. So thank God for the broken screen. <laughs> I know you techie guys are, are really tearing your hair out back there. But um, I, I sometimes think we, we have too many things that distract us from really seeing who Jesus is. And... There is something about engaging personally without having something distracting us um, that is quite, quite powerful. Um, oh gosh, um, I've, um, as I was praying this morning, I, I felt God give me some encouragements for one or two people here this morning. I just wanted to share a couple of them right now. Uh, it just feels right to do so at this particular moment. Um, is there a lady called Sylvia here? Sylvia. Is there a Sylvia here? Well, that's a good start. <laughs> oh, well, we'll take that one. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe, look, I'll, don't worry about the names. I'm going to share what I felt. I felt there was a lady here today who, um, I, the image I had was you're coming out, almost like coming out of a side road. It was a small experience that you've had up until now, and you're turning onto a really big highway. And, um, but actually what you're finding is all your points of reference have gone because there are tall buildings around. It's almost like that. It's that kind of an image I was seeing. And I felt that you're stuck at this, 
intersection. You know you've got to turn onto the highway. It's a bigger experience in God for you, um, but you've somehow lost your bearings. You can't quite work out, should you turn left, should you turn right? And it's almost like there's a queue of people behind you saying, come on, will you make up your mind? And I just feel God wants to say to you this morning, uh, do not doubt your confidence in God. He's brought you to this point He's brought you to this intersection. He has a a broader highway for you to travel on, more experiences and more openness to the presence of God and and mission mission activity. Uh, But you're not to doubt your confidence in God, whoever you are this morning, that um, you need to turn onto the highway. Does it matter if you turn left or right? I think you will know which way to go when your confidence is thoroughly in God and not looking at the challenges that may face you. And so you're moving from a a smaller road, a smaller lifestyle, onto a highway of of influence and activity. I also had a word for a man called John, and maybe I'm going to get the name wrong here as well, but that's fine. Um, John's an easy name, isn't it? Anyone called John here? Oh, look, there's a John. Hey, John. Okay. If if there's... Oh, another John. Hey, listen... But I, the, the image I had this morning was um, you're in a position where there's something you need to be doing right now and it's, I, what I saw was a harvest that was beyond the point of harvesting and it was spoiling. Now that's not what you're doing but I feel what God was showing me was this that <clears throat> there are some decisions that you need to make that you haven't made yet. There's some decisions that you need to make that you haven't made yet But if you don't make those decisions, it will have an impact on the whole year ahead of you. And I just feel what God wants to say to you this morning to encourage you is you must ask for help. Maybe you're feeling, you know, I can't ask for help. I'm a little bit embarrassed that I've left it to this point. I feel God will say to you, do not turn down the help that is at hand. Because not only will it help you now, it's going to become a fruitful relationship for you in the future. And I just feel God wants to encourage you for that. And sometimes we can look at things and say, I'll do that tomorrow, I'll do that tomorrow. But in this instance, you need to do it now. And there is help at hand. But this is going to be more than just immediate help. It will be fruitful relationship for you for the future. Dismiss it all if it doesn't mean anything to you. I'm just being faithful as I pray and, and hear what I hear. So um, uh, that's... That's all I was looking to do. So if you want to turn to Revelation chapter 1, I just love the way the worship this morning was so exalting of Jesus. Just extraordinary. And, uh, And it's exactly that that I want us to do this morning. Revelation chapter 1. And reading from verse 9, it says this, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamon, to Thyatira, to Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. 
Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a long robe and with a gold sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars, what you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars in the, are, are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Heavenly Father, open our, our eyes, Lord. Open our, our eyes to see Jesus the one who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, or rulers or authorities, all things are created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Lord, Open our eyes so that we might see Jesus in all his might and in all his power. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Bible teaches us and we know in our hearts that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's what the Bible might call, what theologians might call, he's immutable. He wasn't created. He has existed for all time. He has no end. And he never changes. However, his people have varied images of him. His people have had varied images of him depending on their experiences, what you have been taught what you have gone through personally, what stage are you at concerning the grace of God at work in your life. Our view of Jesus among us here can greatly differ dependent on experience and teaching and the stage of life that you're at. Also, not everyone approaches him will be the same, will approach him for the same reason. Some approach him for very different reasons, others approach him still for something else. However, all Christians know Jesus. But do we all know him to the same degree and in the same way? I think this is a big question. Because we, on the basis of your answer on that, I guess I would ask the question, do we limit his power among us? 
by the vision that we have of him, the understanding we have of him, have we limited him? And I would suggest at times we probably have. But this was the case through the New Testament as well. So, for example, Simeon saw him as a baby. Jesus was born. Simeon was waiting for this moment in history. And Simeon took this baby in his arms and he said, Now I can part in peace. For now I have seen the Messiah of God, essentially. Simeon viewed Jesus as the coming hope for for Israel and for the world. And he held this baby in his arms. This was Simeon's view of Jesus. Maybe some of us, we don't get past the Christmas story. Jesus is this baby born in a manger. Yes, he's the Messiah of God. Don't understand it all fully, but yet I've got this. I've got this Jesus in my life. I'm holding him. But there's a huge paradox in the holding of Jesus. We think we've got him in our lives. We think we're holding him, but in fact, he's holding us. He keeps us. He's so much more than just a baby at Christmas. For he holds the world in the palm of his hand. He, he speaks and it is. He holds it all together by the word of his mouth. Even in a manger, he is holding the world together by the word of his mouth. He's so much more than a baby in a manger. Jesus is so much more than that. Maybe we're like the disciple that saw him as uh, uh, not just as the incarnate one, but as a prophet and teacher. They sat at his feet. No one before him had taught them that way. They were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at, uh, at how he managed to unpack the truth. And he was an incredible teacher to them. Maybe for you, Jesus is an incredible teacher. He unpacks the law of God, makes it relevant, makes you understand how it all worked and how it all came together in him. Maybe you sit at his feet. Maybe you just see him as this wonderful teacher and interpreter of the law of God. Jesus is so much more than that. What about the disciple who saw him not just as an incarnate one, uh, not just as a prophet or teacher, but saw him as the dearest of friends? The disciple who it said would lean on him, would, would rest his head on his chest. His intimacy with, with Jesus was, was so deep and so intense. He was known as a disciple who loved him or who was loved by Jesus. Maybe we feel that all we need is deeper intimacy with Jesus and everything is going to be okay. And there are great moves of, of, uh, of, of church activity across the world where we need deeper intimacy with Jesus. I spoke to someone recently who went to, I think it was a 36-hour worship session to get deeper intimacy with Jesus. I was jealous. I thought I'd love to be able to stand in a context and worship for 36 hours to get closer to Jesus. But you know, this image of him is limited. He is so much more than just your very best friend. So much more than one that you need to get intimate with. Maybe you're like Mary. Mary was, had even a deeper revelation. She knew him as the one who was born in her and of her. She carried him in her. She was, she was able to say, a great blessing is birthed within me. She did not just see the Christ of the cross 
but knew him as the Christ of her soul. Maybe for you, Jesus, you know you've been born again. You, Christ is in you. You feel that deeply. He's not just in you, but he has changed you. Your DNA is changing because he's in you. He's part of you. But you know, he's so much more than that. What are you saying, man? Dear friends, I know you long for more understanding of who Jesus is. I know you do. That's why you're here. You're longing to meet with him, to encounter him. I know that's why you're here. Maybe you feel, if only I could just see him transfigured like he was on the mountain with Moses and Elijah almost handing over the baton from the old covenant to the new covenant. Maybe you'd feel like that. Maybe you'd like to be the, like one of the disciples in the garden, the women who were there watching him uh, raised from the dead, meeting the resurrected Jesus. Maybe you think, if only I could be like that. Or maybe you think, if only I could have seen him ascend, pouring out his blessing on those disciples. We have this passion for Jesus. But you know, the way we long for him can be so limited because we only see in part. He wants us to see more. Jesus is so much more than that. In fact, as glorious as those moments are, the picture I've just read to you in our text, the Christ of Patmos is preferable to any of this. To see Jesus as John did in this vision is preferable than a lot of the way people saw him prior to that. It's probably the most complete, the most wonderful, and maybe the most important manifestation of Jesus that was ever seen by a human eye. You say, what about the cross? Yes, the cross happened. What about the resurrection? Yes, the resurrection happened. But what we read in Revelation chapter 1 is not just what happened, but now we see Jesus as he is now. Not how he is seen in heaven. He's seen in heaven as a lamb slain. But as he is to the church, we see Jesus represented as he is now to us. I love I love focusing on the crucifixion of Christ. We sang some beautiful songs this morning about the crucified Christ. I was in tears. But that's been done. He has been crucified and we will always live on the hope that he gained for us on the cross, but Christ is something different to us right now. He is seen as standing in the midst of golden candlesticks, which we understand to be representative of the churches. There are seven churches represented. I won't go into those right now, but let's say it's representative of Christ standing amongst his church. First hope is that we know he is with us now because he's standing among his churches. He's showing John something that he wants John to communicate. He is there among his churches. He's with us. 
what an impact it would have on us if we could see him as he is now. Would we fall at his feet like John did, as if dead? Or would we pass him by? Moses had commanded to take off his shoes because the place he stood was holy ground. If God commanded such humility from us when he was manifested in a bush, how much more so does he command humility from us when he's manifested in Christ? This was a manifestation of the authority and the power of heaven in Christ to the church today. We know this passage is very symbolic. He doesn't appear in heaven in that form. But he wanted to instruct John concerning his majesty, his might, and his power. It says he's one like the Son of Man. This is a picture of his position, his position of dignity and majesty. Son of Man was, has a double meaning of a human being, and according to Daniel 7, an exalted, Daniel 7, an exalted heavenly being. And Jesus refers to himself this way so often. The Son of Man, he calls himself. It, has, it is, a, it is a, 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 a picture of dignity and majesty. So it says, one like the Son of Man was there, fully human but yet fully divine. He was clothed in a garment down to his feet. This robe was kind of robe that would be worn by kings and priests. All the way down to his feet. And it says, and across his chest was a sash of gold. The old translation says, a sash of gold across his paps. I'm still trying to work out what a pap is. Um, but anyway, it wasn't, the, it wasn't the sash of a beauty pageant. It wasn't the sash worn around the waist, ca causing you to gird up your, those loins and, and make yourself ready for action. This was a sash that was tightly bound across his chest, covering his heart, the, the very seat of his love. Though he was once naked, hanging on the cross as our substitute for our nakedness, he is naked no more. The King of kings and the Lord of lords is naked no more. He's clothed in dignity and royalty and eternal priesthood. And he stands like that for the church today. But it also confirms to us, his church, that we are no longer naked with shame and condemnation, but we are clothed in his robes of righteousness. And this sash, tightly pulled across his chest, is a reminder that it was all done because of his great love with which he loved us. And it was all bound together by great love. His constant love for us now, as he stands as king and priest forever. Let us see, as we come before him worshipfully, that he governs us today as a king and is for us a priest forever over our lives. But he also comes as a lover of our souls. His royal dignity commands the obedience of angels and his priestly ministry brings acceptance of his father. He is clothed in dignity and power over his church 
today. His head, it says, was head and hair were white like wool, as white as the snow. This signifies he was not just the Christ of 2,000 years ago. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And before anything was created, he was. He was with the Father. Navigating the the uncharted ether of the universe before anything was created. He wasn't an afterthought. He wasn't something that was created even a long time ago. He lives for all eternity. He described himself to others by saying, before Abraham was, I am. He had no beginning. He had no end. Angels, principalities and powers bow down before this one who is eternal in absolute every possible way. Even though for a while he was made a little lower than the angels, so that he might suffer death, yet today he is crowned with glory and honour forever and ever and ever. Amen. So now, declare to him that is and was and is to come, Alpha and Omega, to Him be glory and honour and dominion and power over your life forever and ever. He had no beginning. He had no end. He is the eternal, he is the eternal King of the ages. And that will never change. That is who He is today over His church. His eyes like a flame of fire. Oh, I looked at this. What must it look like to look into eyes that are a flame of fire? It represented his oversight of the church. What does that mean? His eyes are so penetrating, it melts the dross away in our lives and only leaves the gold. He does not see by the light of our human experiences. Our human experiences limit our lives, limit what we can do, what we think, what we want to achieve. But Jesus does not see us through the limitation of our human experiences. He does not see us through the limitation of our prayer life. Well, if only they would pray, I would know what they need. No, he sees us. He pierces everything that we are with, the eye, with these eyes of fire. They, are, they, they don't need the light of anything to give them light. He produces the light that's in his eyes. He doesn't need anything to illuminate anything. He knows everything because his eyes are blazing fire. And you know what? He knows. He knows what you don't know. When you stand before him, you say, God, I don't know. How do I handle this? Where should I go? What should I do? What about my children? What about my sickness? What about my mother? What about my father? I don't know, Lord. But you have one today over the church who knows, whose eyes are like flaming fire, who pierces through the fuzz and the haze of a mysterious world in which we live, where we say, I don't know the beginning and the end, but he does. Imagine one over us today who oversees us in that way, where we don't need priest and prophet, although they're helpful, to govern our path, because we have one who rules 
who speaks to priest and prophet so as to govern our path. We don't need a papal, we don't need papal authority. We have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who rules and reigns forever and who sees everything, who brings comfort when we find it hard to tell God what we are going through. Because he sees you with such clarity. He sees what is hidden. There's not a trial that the church experiences. Those eyes of fire cannot discern. At times all we see with Jesus are the eyes that wept over sinful man. But now it's better for us to have have one whose eyes are filled with flaming fire. Not gazing on our sin with judgment, but consuming our sin with mercy and love. Not merely to see our wants, but now forever to fulfill our desires. This is the one whose eyes are flaming fire, who pierce our hearts today. His feet are like burnished bronze. It says, refined in the fire. His head is glorious. He's magnificent. He's not yet crowned in this image, as you, can, as, you will, as you will notice. He will be crowned when he comes again. He'll be crowned as King of kings and Lord of lords for all time. And every knee will bow before him and tongue confess he's Lord. But right now he's not crowned, but he's glorious. His head is glorious. But his feet are like blazing, burnished bronze, it says. I want us to see that his feet represent the church on the earth today. His body still walking the soil of this earth today. The bronze feet represent the the church in in this earth today. We are his body and we are his feet. His head is glorious. His feet are flaming like bronze in the fire. See, where his feet walk among the golden candlesticks, they walk in fire like brass burning in the furnace because the truth is wherever Christ is please hear this wherever Christ is there will be the fire of trial for his church you need to hear this because we we love triumphalism the church is victorious yeah 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 we're marching on for Jesus but I can assure you of this there will be the fire of trial for his church if the words we speak We're not constantly misrepresented. Maybe we're not speaking the right words. Have you thought about that? If the gospel did not cause offence, maybe we're not preaching the proper gospel. You see, wherever Christ is mentioned, wherever the church tread in an authentic way for Jesus, there is trial. There is fire. If we're always understood... Maybe we're not speaking the gospel that the earthly mind cannot receive without the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, if we want to live authentically, we're going to have to come to the conclusion that we also have to walk in trial. And it's not a bad thing if the church is in trial, because it means they're probably being authentic. But the beautiful thing about these bronze feet, this church that is being refined by fire, that's in trial, the beautiful thing is it's not consumed. Even though the church may go through trial after trial, it is not consumed. It will not be consumed by the fire because it is the feet of the risen Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords on earth. The early Protestants spoke of the church as an anvil that has broken many hammers. In suffering, there is victory in Christ. 
Don't shrink back from the trial, but persevere through all that you face in the days to come, because there will be days of greater trial still. You look at the persecuted church around the world. They don't cry out and say, please relieve us of our persecution. They find the victory of Christ as evidence of the, of, the, of the fact that Christ is among us. They don't shrink back and say, it's not fair. You in the West, have it, you have it easy. No, it's not. they don't say it's not fair. They walk through the trial because their feet are they're like burnished bronze. They will not be consumed regardless of what philosophy or what people would oppress the church. It will always come through. You are an enduring people, even through trial. Says the voice, his voice like the sound of many waters. This is the voice that is heard in heaven, that at the same time, at his name, every knee bows. It's a voice that is heard in hell, and it's a voice that is heard on the earth. We think our voice as a church is minuscule. We think, how can we possibly be heard? How can, the, how can the vicar in the village church to a dozen fragile people be heard in the earth? But I want to assure you, because the voice of our God in heaven is like the sound of many waters. Every time his word is preached, every time the gospel is preached, it changes generations. It changes generations and it changes nations. We, would, we went round the Wilberforce Museum yesterday. And we all know the story of Wilberforce and the abolition of slavery. I wonder when he started on that path whether he thought his voice was small. But yet the voice of many waters roared through him. And his voice became thunderous and powerful to the tearing down of strongholds. Still so much more to do. Yes, the church must keep speaking. Never stop proclaiming. Never stop preaching the gospel. But know this that when you preach, when you teach, when you witness, when you share, it is the voice of many waters that is coming through you. If you had the ability to stand on a mountaintop so high you could see every ocean in the earth and saw the Atlantic clashing into the Pacific in the Pacific, welcoming the Mediterranean that drew in the Red Sea, that went up into the Arctic and the Antarctic, all those seas together roaring and thunderously clapping, that is the sound of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords over the earth. His voice shakes the nations. And his voice is like the sound of many waters. It says that from his mouth comes a two-edged sword. I looked at some artists' impressions of what that must look like. It looked absurd. It looked like one of those magic tricks. You know, pulling the sword from the mouth. What I saw was this, this one who is radiant, who's king forever, this one who's clothed in majesty, this priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, as it says in Hebrews, this one whose feet is like burnished bronze, his church is, is, is the trial of his church, never consumed. This one breathes on the earth, and the vapour that comes from his mouth forms as a two-edged sword. The spirit breathed out, pierces the heart of every person who hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for those who don't believe, it will give you sleepless nights. Because this is a two-edged sword. It separates bone from marrow, spirit from soul, it says. This gospel message is for the transformation of many. 
And for those who are being saved, it is salvation. And He breathes His Spirit out on the earth. And as the vapour of His presence is formed, it forms into a sword as the Gospel's preached and it pierces our hearts. A two-edged sword comes from His mouth. And coming to a close, His countenance was as the sun shining in His strength. How can you picture this? Have you ever been to a really hot country? Been to Dubai several times? You try standing in the sun in all its strength in Dubai and then look at it. It will blind you. It will blind you. But it says his countenance was as the sun shining in all its strength. What glory, what majesty, what light, what spotlessness, what strength. His countenance is the sun shining in all its strength. You cannot gaze upon it. It causes angels to veil their faces with their wings and the church to bow in adoration. His glory is so great and so magnificent. Oh church, what can you say to the one who stands today as your king? What can you say to the one who stands as your priest? What can you say, trembling church, facing the trial because he is among you, but yet trembling church with the sound of many waters racing through your veins and out of your mouth and into the world like a two-edged sword. What can you say to him who is king forever? Will you not long to know him more? He is not just a baby in a manger. He is so much more. If we stand at the cross... We will always rejoice in what he's done for us. But let's go beyond the cross and see who he is today. Let the church stand victorious because we have a king forever. Let the church march forward victoriously because we have a king forever whose priest and king, whose love is, is, un, is unlimiting. Will you know him more? Or will you limit him to your own experience? This is the king who rules today. Let's stand together, can we? Forgive my excitement, but I feel that quite often we've had moves of God over time that have focused more on us than it has on him. I was speaking to Mark DuPont a little while ago and asked him what he felt was his feeling about the way the nations are today and about revival in our nation. And he said, Mark, he believes the, the coming revival on this nation is going to be all about him and his glory where previous moves of God have been about us and how we are. There is a move of God coming where the church will be so transfixed by his power and glory and not so worried about ourselves. And in this move of God, the nations will be touched by the power of God because there is a people that have seen him as he is. Let's just pray for a minute, can we? Pray with me. Stand together. Show your face, Lord, so that the darkness of this world melts away before your glory. Open your mouth, Lord, 
And let the two-edged sword of your spirit penetrating unbelieving hearts speak, Jesus, and men will hear you for your voice is like the sound of many waters. Come, Jesus, even even though you bring the burning heat with you. And as as your feet glow in the furnace, let us endure. Come, look on us, burn up all our sin, with whose eyes of fire, with those eyes of fire, come show yourself and we will adore you, for your head and your hair are white like wool. Come manifest yourself and we will trust you. With your garments, your priestly garments, we will revere you. And with your golden girdle, we will adore you, King of kings and Lord of lords. Come then, that we may see you, that you may put the crown upon your head to the shout of hallelujah, 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 the Lord our God almighty reigns. Holy Spirit come. We're going to worship. As we do, let me ask you, if you are not a follower of Jesus this morning, you have never made a commitment to the one who governs all things. If you've ever never noticed that everything works out in him. If you've never seen his love for you and the power to remove shame and guilt and never chosen to follow him. I want to ask you this morning, why don't you be courageous? Look at the king who reigns forever, the eternal one, and say, Jesus, I will follow you. Lord and King. Or maybe you've been away from God for a while. Your your faith feels like it's lapsed. Like a subscription. I forgot to pay. The Father stands before you today and says, come on home, son, daughter. Come to me. Maybe just seeing Jesus as more than a baby in a manger, but you see him as King of Kings, might cause you to run home. Say, it's all about you, Lord. If you're in that place, we would love to pray for you this morning. And as we begin to worship, if you want prayer along those lines, salvation, and maybe you have been away from God, then I would encourage you to come forward. There's a team here that will pray for you. Let's worship together. Let's see what the Lord will do in these next 15, 20 minutes that we have together. But respond to him. Today is the day for faith and salvation. King of kings and Lord of lords beckons you. In Jesus' name. As we worship, come forward for prayer. Feel there may be other things that we need to draw out in that to pray for others also, but come forward for prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.